So if you would like to find your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2, we'll be digging into the Gospel of Mark. Again, we already said it a few times, I'll say it again, happy Father's Day to all you, um, all you fathers out there, and um, hope you have a great day. And, um, and I'm looking forward to what we've been working through with the Gospel of Mark. Um, I told you two weeks ago now, I know it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but it was, two weeks ago, I said, hey, we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark, and I passed out a reading plan to you, so that you could read the entire Gospel of Mark this summer, by not reading a whole lot each day, but still getting through it all, all right? Um, and if you haven't done that yet, and you're like, well, two weeks are already by, I don't think I could do it, you can. You can still catch up, all right? So far in the reading plan, we've only done the first four chapters of Mark. It's not a lot of reading. You could actually sit down and in a half hour, probably, or less, read four chapters of Mark, okay? So you're a little behind, but you're not out of the race yet, all right? You can still do this. So if you haven't done that, um, you, can, you can join along with us and read through it. And if you've been following along in this reading plan, in these first four chapters, what you'll see is Jesus continuing to minister in and around this region called Galilee. All right, and last week we looked at um, Jesus ministering to uh, a few fishermen and calling them to follow him. And we, we saw there these two calls of Jesus, a call to follow him, and also not only were they just going to follow him, but he was going to give them a new purpose in life. So we saw a call to follow and a call to purpose. Um, and as Jesus continued to, to go around and, and preach and teach and do all that, one of the other primary things that you've seen in those first chapters is that not only did Jesus come preaching and teaching with the good news of the gospel, but the other main thing that he was doing was healing. He was healing people. Um, a lot of times, that was the physical end. That was one of the ways that he would go into a little village, and there'd be someone who maybe was disabled and couldn't walk, and he'd physically heal that person. And then everybody would be like, hold on, what just happened here? Maybe we should pay attention to what this guy has to say. Or he'd go somewhere else, and a, a leper from outside of the village would come in with leprosy, and he would heal that leper, which was a incurable disease at that time and he'd heal that disease and this person be completely cleaned and made whole and it would just blow the minds of everybody around and they're like what is going on here right so there's a lot of that happening he was healing these physical sicknesses and and disabilities and illnesses that were happening but jesus was always concerned about the souls of the people that he was ministering to we'll see throughout the gospel that there's many times where jesus will he will heal, and he will feed, and he will take care of the, the people physically, their physical needs. But Jesus' main thing, the reason he was doing all this other stuff, was to get to the souls of the people. The souls are what mattered most to him. And the call that we see today that we're going to look at here, there are two calls that we're going to look at, specifically aim at the souls of people, all right? The inner being. So when I talk about soul, and I start throwing this word out here, are you aware of your soul here today? Did you wake up and be like, soul, how's my soul this morning? Probably not. We don't usually pay attention to the fact that we have a soul, but it's important. It's an important part of us. Our bodies tend to get a lot more attention 
than our souls do, right? All of us, in order to get out of bed this morning and make it here to church, probably spent a lot of attention on our bodies. Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? What do I look like after getting out of this bed? Like, what do I need to do? Where do I need to get some clothes? I need to, you know, loosen up and get ready for the day and all these things. We, 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 we do that, right? We pay attention to our bodies. But what about our souls? We are more than just a pile of molecules that are carrying out these pre-programmed functions. Did you know that? You know that you're more than just physical body? We have feelings, and we have emotions, and, and, and we're much more complicated than just a simple, you know, a reaction to a, a, a stimulus of some sort. We generate ideas and creativity. We're spiritual beings, whether we're aware of it or not. All of us, all people are. Your soul is actually what separates you from the rest of the animal kingdom. All right, and I know that there's sometimes there's some some animosity in the with with Christians in the science world, and they'll you know hear something, read something, and they're like, oh, humans are just animals, just like every other animal, and we're all the same, and we're all equal, or we're all in the same playing field. Well, to some argument, to some degree, that's true. We're made up of the same carbon and all the pieces and parts, but the thing that separates us from the animal kingdom is our soul, is the fact that we have a soul. And we're not going to have an argument about your dog who has a soul. I know you guys love your, your pets. It's fine. Love them, okay? We're, 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 this isn't part of the, the message here today. We don't have to talk about that. But what marks you as being uniquely made in the image of God is your soul, all right? And because of that, God cares about your soul. He cares about your soul. And so in the the section of Mark that we're going to look at here today, Jesus calls someone in need of soul care. Um, Last week we saw that call to follow and a call to purpose, but today we're going to see two two more calls, a call to surrender and a call to healing, all right? And we're talking about on the soul level here. So let's let's look at Mark chapter 2, starting there in verse 13. And here's what it says. It says, He, Jesus went out again beside the sea. That's the Sea of Galilee. That's the same area that he's been traveling around here. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. All right, now, at first... This seems to be just like the same call that we saw last week. If you were here with us last week, we looked at the call of Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and then two other fishermen brothers, James and John. And what we saw there was Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he looks out, here's these fishermen doing their thing, and he says to them, follow me. And we saw that those guys dropped what they were doing and came and followed Jesus. Now, as we studied that a little more, we knew there was, there was more to that. It wasn't the first time they'd ever met Jesus. They had already been following him and, and hearing him and watching some things that he had done and, and the things that he was teaching and preaching and all that. They, had, they knew who he was, but they followed him, okay? And here, it's very similar. Jesus is just, here he is in town. He walks by this tax booth. He sees this guy sitting there. He just says to him, hey, you follow me, and he does, so at a first read, that seems, oh, this is, is very simple. But 
we're going to see here that this call had some differences because Levi and his situation was a bit different. All right? Now, here's a couple important details that Mark doesn't tell you here in the gospel. But if you go and you compare the other gospel accounts, you get some more information about who Levi is and what we need to know about Levi. All right? The first is that Levi is, is better known by his other name, Matthew. Okay? Um, in fact, this is even in the Gospel of Mark. Later on, we're going to see him called Matthew. But here, while he was a tax collector, he went by Levi. But now, when this happens and this takes place, he's known as Matthew. This is the same Matthew that would write the Gospel of Matthew that we have in our Bibles. It's the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. It's this guy. Um, and, and just like Peter and Andrew and James and John that we saw last week, he would become one of the 12 apostles. All right? So if you've heard of something being named St. Matthew, it's for this guy. This is the Matthew that is, is, is here in this passage. All right? Now, the other big thing that's important to, to point out about Matthew is his job. Now, here, when it says, well, he passes by the tax booth, it almost seems like Jesus just walks by, and here's some guy waiting in line at the IRS. <laughs> and so he calls the guy and says, hey, come. But when you go a little deeper into some of the other Gospels, what you find out is, no, 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 he's not waiting in line at the IRS. He is the IRS. He is a tax collector. All right? And when he's sitting in the tax booth, this is a little armed window, little armed shed, guarded shed, where all of the people from the region had to come and bring all their tax money. Okay? You couldn't pay online in those days. This was like, come to the window and pay your stuff. All right? So that's who Matthew is. He is a tax collector. He was a Jew who was employed by the Roman Empire. Now, I know when I say that, for a lot of you, you're like, well, so what? He's a Jew, Roman Empire, this is all out there somewhere, old time. All right? Let me try to explain what that means, a Jew working for the Roman Empire. To bring it into, like, modern terms, this would be as if we had a Ukrainian that was working for the Russian government in an occupied Ukrainian town that had just been over and taken over by a, a Russian army. All right? So this is someone from this area, from this region, who is working for this other empire that had taken over the area. Okay? Well, can you imagine how the rest of those Ukrainians would feel about this Ukrainian now working for a Russian government? It wouldn't be good. That's the same thing that, that we had here in this region during this time. For a Jew to be working for the Romans who were occupying the land, you're working with the enemy. This is not okay. And that is exactly what these Jews that were working as tax collectors would have felt from all of the people around them. They were despised by their fellow Jews. The people of this area, the people of his town, hated Matthew. Matthew was a hated man. He was viewed as a traitor. All right? So every person that would walk by this window, looking at Matthew, knowing who Matthew is, knowing what Matthew does, every person that walks by hates that guy. And they probably told him about it. <laughs> um, you know, they, they probably let him know how they felt about him. So why is it that anyone would want to take that job? Why would a Jew want to work for Rome as a tax collector? Because being a tax collector was incredibly lucrative. Good money. Really good money. Um, 
in, in this time. These men became very rich, but it was at the expense of their countrymen. And in the process, they lost all access to relationships within decent Jewish society. So for a tax collector, you, if you were going to choose to take that career path, you were going to be hated by everyone that you came in contact with. They were going to kick you out of the synagogues if they could. They weren't going to sell to you or trade to you. The marketplace, yeah, they'll take your money when they need it, but they don't like you. And they're not going to pretend that they don't like you. It was a bad situation for someone who would, would, would do this. Now, when Jesus called the other four that we saw last week, the fishermen, they left what they knew of, you know, this job as fishermen. They left what they knew and started a new path. But for Matthew, there was a deeper call to surrender. When Jesus walks by the tax booth and says to Matthew, hey, come follow me. The only thing Matthew had going for him at this point was his money, his job, his security that, that came with that. Knowing that what Matthew had given up, I think that he believed that only money could be his savior. And so when Jesus comes and calls him to surrender, what he's calling him to is to surrender this one thing that you put all your hope in, all your trust in, all your faith in, all your eggs are in that one basket, so to speak, right? Because that's your thing. You said, well, I don't care if my family hates me. I don't care if the neighborhood doesn't let me play on the softball team anymore. I don't care if my kids will be hated at school. I don't care if I have to live outside of town in my, I'll have a mansion, so who cares? I don't care if, you know, I don't get invited to family reunions anymore. I don't care if my, my friends can't be, you know, normal people in society. I don't care as long as I have my money. So when Jesus calls him and says, hey, that one thing, the one thing that you've devoted your whole life to, why don't you leave that behind and come follow me? Because leaving that role, walking away from this job, it's not the kind of thing that he'd just come back in and get his job back. If he walked away from it, he was going to be done with it for good. Matthew had sacrificed everything in order to get money. But as he sat in the booth, loaded with money, his soul was empty, and he knew it. That was the thing, I believe, that caused Matthew to go and follow Jesus. He recognized that there was something that he could not get with what he had sacrificed himself for, with his money. So Jesus called, and Matthew walks away, permanently ending his career. He's surrendering everything that he had left, his wealth, his position, his career, because he recognized that his so-called Savior was no Savior at all. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about the gospel message, and you're at church, right? You come to church to hear good news. This is what Jesus came proclaiming, good news. And he's talking about how, how God loves human, humanity and, and has made a way to reconnect and build relationship with people. That's the, the good news of the gospel. And, and it is. When we, we share the gospel message, it's, it's way more enjoyable to focus on all the good things, the blessings that we receive when we follow Jesus. Because those things are true. They're totally true. The gospel is good news. God does have a wonderful plan for your life. All those things are real and true. He wants you to thrive and be full of love and joy and hope and peace. But to be balanced and honest, we also have to share the fact 
that in order to step into those wonderful things that God has for you, we have to surrender our lives as we know them. We have to be willing to surrender our lives. Just like Matthew was willing to surrender the only thing he had left. And I know that when I say that, that's not, that's not popular. Uh, the, the whole message of love and peace and good vibes, that's actually very popular. You can go a long way in this world with that message only. But a message of, yes, this, this goodness is out here, but it requires surrender, it requires sacrifice, it requires something from you, that one doesn't fly quite as well. And when Jesus ministered to the crowds and the people, sometimes they'd get a little hyped on his message. They'd hear Jesus talk about the good news of, of God, and they'd be like, yeah, I'm all for it. Give me that, Jesus. That's what I want. I'm with you. Like, you and I, we're together. Let's, let's sync up. I'm going for this. But Jesus always had a way of kind of bringing them back to reality. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, this was happening. The crowds had gathered around him, and they're just trying to, you know, hype up Jesus. And it says here in, in chapter 9, it says, as they were going along the road, Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's he saying? He's like, you think you know what you're getting when you're saying you'll follow me to wherever, but it's not as cushy and good as you might think. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What was Jesus describing here? Isn't that one of the weird passages of the Bible? Joe's like, I don't get it. I mean, here, Jesus, these people are saying they'll follow you. They're saying they'll come after you. They'll say, they're saying that they'll do what you've asked them to do. So why are you pushing them away? Why are you slowing them down? What, what's, what's happening? What Jesus is trying to teach is that you can't live in two worlds at once. You can't live in two worlds at once. We try, but you can't live in two worlds at once. You know, in some countries today... You are allowed to have dual citizenship. All right? Are you aware of that? The U.S. is one of those. Some of you may have du- dual citizenship, where you've got your citizen of the United States and your citizen of, of somewhere else. All right? But in other countries, like Japan, for instance, you, you can't have dual citizenship. Um, you may be, you know, born to Japanese parents, but in the United States, and so that child would have automatic United States citizenship. But in their 20s, Japan will actually contact you and say, it's time to pick. Where would you like your citizenship to be? Do you want to be a citizen of Japan or do you want to be a citizen of the United States? Because you can't be both. Because if you're going to be a citizen of our country, this is the only country you're going to be a citizen of. All right? Now, you have to choose at that point. But here's what we have to understand. The only way to become a citizen of heaven is by surrendering your citizenship of earth. And that's a tough call. Just like it'd be a tough call to make for somebody who, you know, had the dual citizenship thing and, and the country says you gotta pick. It's it's gonna be tough. 
And many people, when they hear this part of the gospel message, this is where they turn back, right here. They're like, well, I don't want that. I don't want to have to pick. I don't want to have to choose. I want all my options. And I know that many of us have struggled with that battle. Anybody else? You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever tried to keep one foot in earth and one foot in heaven? It's kind of a stretch, right? It keeps stretching farther. And I'll pull something if I go much farther. So we don't, it's hard. It's hard, and it doesn't work. It's painful to try, to say, well, I'm going to try to hold on to this part of the earth, but I really want these things of God too. And, and as long as I, you know, I'll balance it out. That's what it is. I'll, I'll do this, and oh, that was really bad. I better spend some more time over here. And I'm kind of trying to go back and forth and feeling this whole pull, push and pull. But when Jesus calls, he's calling us to surrender. He asks us to give our entire lives back to him. Later in Mark, he says it this way in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, that's talking about the life here on earth, whoever would try to save this earthly life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." Do you see what he's calling you to? It's, it's pretty drastic. It's pretty extreme. He says you can't have both of these worlds because these two worlds are incompatible. You want to try to mix and match and you think you can mash them together in some way to make it work, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work because this kingdom of heaven is holy and pure and glorious. There's no sin. There's no wickedness. There's no sorrow and pain and death. But this world has those things. There's a separation that's happening. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we're declaring that he is our king. That he is the author of life and he's the reason that we have life. And he invites us to exchange this old life of sin that we have for a new life of righteousness in him. And that was his call to Matthew. You know, we, we recently studied one of the most clear illustrations of this in Genesis. This whole call to surrender that God has. This, this call um, was described pretty well with, with Abraham and Isaac. If you remember that story of uh, Abraham, the, the father of promise, the one of the covenant. God had called Abraham and said, from you I'm going to make this incredible nation. I'm going to give you a people and a place. And there's this land of promise and a people of promise. But in that, Abraham has his one son as a very old man, 100 years old, and he has a baby. Miraculous. And, and Abraham and Sarah, they love this baby, Isaac, and they, they raise him up, and he's a, a young man, probably a teenager or so. And then God says this radical thing to Abraham. 
He says, that son, the son of promise, the one that I miraculously gave you, the one that means so much to you, the one that the whole promise of, of becoming a nation of people and all that, it all hinges on this one person. What does he say? He says, I want you to take that son, I want you to go up on this mountain, I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. I literally want you to kill him. And Abraham is like, what in the world is this? But he obeys God. He goes through with it. He walks up this hill with his son. He, he, he makes the journey to get there. He gets up there. He builds the altar. All this time wondering how, why, what is God doing? But he goes through all this process and gets Isaac all the way onto the altar ready to kill him before God stops him. And what does God tell him? God says, I needed to know that there was nothing that you would hold back from me. That you would truly surrender everything to me. Everything is surrendered. Everything is laid out there. Even the things that matter the most to you. That's the call of Jesus. It's this call to absolute surrender. Now here, this is important. If you've been struggling in your spiritual life, maybe you're missing the joy and the peace and the love and the fullness that comes from walking with him. This is a good place to take an inventory. This is a good place to check your soul, check your heart, and ask yourself, is there something or someone in my life that I'm withholding from God? Is there something that I'm holding back? Is there something that I need to surrender? Now, before you get beating yourself up here, okay, I also want to say, this is not always the case, all right? Just because you're in a hard place in life right now or you've been going through some really heavy things, it doesn't mean that God's trying to get you back and punish you because of those things you're holding on to. That's not what it, what it means. God still walks with us through some very difficult places, uh, even when we're totally surrendered to him. All right, So it's not an either-or thing. It's either I'm so happy and everything's great all the time because I'm walking right with God, or if there's anything wrong in my life, obviously I have some wicked sin that's hiding somewhere. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But this is still a great place for us to pay attention to. Our hearts, as it says in the old hymn from the 1700s, our hearts are prone to wander. Matthew, though, chose to surrender everything and follow Jesus. Okay, then we come to the, the, second, uh, the second half of this here today. In verse 15. So, so, so Matthew has left everything behind. He's rose and followed Jesus. And now what we see is Matthew then invites Jesus over to meet his friends. Okay? Uh, they've got a little dinner party. And here's what happens in verse 15. It says, And as he, Jesus, reclined at table in Matthew's house... Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. The scribes that are described here, the scribes of the Pharisees, 
they were devout Jews, okay? They were very religious people. They were people that were doing their best to follow all the laws of Moses and all the laws of the rabbis, 614 rules and regulations that they were always trying to pay attention to every single day. They were trying to do everything the right way all the time. And and they were religious people. And just like the religious people of Jesus' day, um, they were like the religious people of our day. They're most comfortable with people just like themselves. Right? This is how I want to live, and I just want to be around other people who want to live this way, and this is how I'm going to do things, and I'm going to try to keep myself away from everybody else, and I'm just going to do it in that way. And this Jewish faith that's loaded with these rules and laws, um, for them, they believe that by keeping those laws meticulously, that they're then holy before God. And those that didn't abide by the laws would be shunned and rejected and looked down upon. So when the scribes, they see this Jesus guy show up on the scene, and he's amazing. He's teaching with authority through the scriptures. He knows the word. He's, he's talking about repentance and getting right with God. He's, as he's out there doing what he's doing, all these crowds are gathering around, people that they normally couldn't even talk to in synagogue. And Jesus is, is preaching and teaching, and then he's healing, and then he's casting out demons. It's radical. And so the religious people come around and they're like, this is amazing. This guy's incredible. This is the, the, the new revolution of, of holiness. We're going to see so many people begin to follow the laws like we do. But then they're like, hold on, wait a minute. But why is he over here talking to all these sinners, these tax collectors? These are the, the, the prostitutes and the criminals and the tax collectors, the, the, the scum of the population that only them people can hang out with them people, you know? What's going on here? This doesn't make any sense. It would make sense that they're just, they're dumbfounded by, by this. And they ask, at least at this point, it's an innocent, innocent question. We'll find out soon the scribes, they're going to hate Jesus. But right now, this is early in the ministry, they're still like, what's going on here? How does this work? And they ask that question, why? Why would he do this? And Jesus gives a very insightful and honest answer. He says, look, I came not to call righteous, but sinners. I didn't come to the healthy. I came to the sick. This was a call to healing. All right, Jesus calls people to follow. He calls them and gives them a purpose. He calls them uh, to surrender, but he also is calling us to healing. He even uses doctor-patient language to describe it here. He says, why is it that I'm hanging out with all these sinners? Because these sinners have a sin problem and they need to be healed. When Jesus calls us, he calls us to be healed. He calls us for a transformation. A lot of times we hear about this gospel message and say, yeah, Jesus is calling me to follow him. He calls me to surrender my life to him and give him my heart. Okay, but Jesus is actually calling people to someplace. He doesn't just call you and save you and say, all right, you're saved. I'm putting you on the shelf for 80 years, you know, and at 87, I'm going to come knocking on your door and you'll be with me in heaven forever. That's not what he does. He calls you. He saves you. Yes, your eternal salvation is taken care of, but he wants you to be healed. He wants you to be changed. He wants you to have an abundant life here on earth as well. He doesn't want to leave you right where you're at. 
I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I want to see these people healed. And all of us share the same universal sin problem. The mixture of sins that we each have is as unique and diverse as humanity itself. But all of us, whether or not we know it, have a sin problem. These religious people were convinced that they had their sin issues under control. They're like, no, we're good. We're right before God because we work really hard to make this happen. Have you ever known someone that just doesn't need your help? That they're like, I got this. I got this. Does not matter. To you, it's obvious, oh, they need some help. (laughs) They need some insight. They need some direction. They need something to change. But they're just a person like, no, no, no. I got this. It's, I, it's totally under control. I know you see it a little differently than I do. And you're looking in on this and you think that, you know, you have something to offer. But, ah, it's good. I'm fine. Isn't that a hard place? It's, it's, it's a sad place. What Jesus saw here with these religious people was that very thing. The religious people are like, good thing, Jesus. It's a good thing that you're here. You're joining in with what we're doing. And now that you're here, we'll just go on and do what we're doing. For Jesus, he's like, I don't really have time for all that. I'm only going to be here for three years. Like, instead, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the people that obviously have a problem, the people that recognize that they have a problem, the people that are willing to admit they have a problem. Let's work with them for a little while. Let's see some lives completely turned upside down and transformed. And then maybe these other people that don't think they have a problem will look over here and be like, oh, maybe there is something to what's going on over here. That's what was happening in this. There was this whole whole issue going on. Unfortunately, the scribes weren't ready yet to accept the fact that their greatest efforts could not save themselves. And by coming to the most broken, the most obviously sinful people, Jesus was showing them the depths of his love. If we learn anything as we study the life of Jesus through the Gospels, it's that no one is out of his reach, out of the reach of his love. Nobody. The, the, the one that all of society has given up on and thought there's not a chance that this person would ever be reached. Jesus can reach even them. Remember what he said when he was on the cross, nailed on the cross, dying? What did he say? Curse these dogs that do this to me. No, that's not recorded. <laughs> what Jesus says is, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Who's he talking about? He's talking about these guys that are willing to torture and murder an innocent person by hanging them on a cross. Do you see the heart behind Jesus here? He's like, no one is out outside of my forgiveness. When Jesus calls, he's calling us to come and be healed of our sin problem. He doesn't always heal our physical issues. Christians will get sick and die just like everyone else. But... He does always heal our souls if we'll come to him in faith. Isn't that amazing? What scripture tells us is, if anybody would come to me, I will receive them. If anyone wants to come with their broken soul and get a new one, I've got one for them. No matter who you are. The call to healing is also tied to one of our calls from last week, the call to purpose. Jesus' purpose was to go and bring the good news of the gospel to humanity. And when he calls us to follow him and become Christians, he first heals us, but then he gives us the same charge. 
He says, I'm going to heal you, and now you go and heal. You bring that good news to others. You bring that forgiveness to others. You bring that love. You show my love and my mercy and my grace to other people. You now take this call to healing, and you let other people know that healing is available for them as well. When he calls us, that's what he does. Our purpose is to go and bring the good news of the gospel, which is a call to healing. It's especially good news to those who know that they're sick. Jesus loved the sick. He loved the sinner. Now, here's the kind of the last big thing um, for us to think about here this morning. Because I realize that when I come here to church on a Sunday morning, most of you are already Christians. I'm not going to say that all of you are Christians, because I don't know that to be true, but most of you in here are Christians. Most of you are like, okay, yeah, I've heard the gospel message. I know Jesus called me to follow him. Yes, I know I'm to be healed and transformed, and I'm supposed to love the world and all those things. And yeah, that's what I do. Okay, all right, yeah. All right? All right, you've, you've heard messages like this. But as a, as a church, as a group of primarily Christians, we are always going to have to ask ourselves some important questions. And this is one of the big ones. And, and honestly, it might hurt a little when I ask you this question. Do we love sinners? Do we love the sick like Jesus loved sinners and like Jesus loved the sick? Do we? Do we want non-believers with us? Do we want all that comes along with that in a church? I'll tell you this right now. A lot of churches, if they honestly answered that, their answer would be no. Like, it's fine, keep them out there somewhere, but don't bring them into my church. Like, this is the, my, finally my safe space where I have some other Christians I can hang out with. I don't want the mess that might be associated with some non-Christians coming here and messing stuff up. That's hard. That's harsh. But that's the way it is in a lot of places. But is that what we're called to? Guys, you're going to spend eternity with a bunch of other Christians, okay? In fact, they'll all be Christians at that point. <laughs> but what about now? What are we actually called to? Are we willing to be uncomfortable with the lost so that they might be saved? The way that we answer those questions shapes how we do what we do as a church. And these are some of the conversations that, that the elder team and I are having all the time. How do we continue to build a Christian community to be healthy and strong Christians? But at the same time, balancing that out with how are we bringing non-Christians into the community of faith? How are we taking the gospel out into the world? It's good that we build each other up and we strengthen each other in this family. That is what we're supposed to do and called to do. But we're also called to equip the church, to go out into the world. And what's the purpose of going out into the world? To then bring people into the church, into the family of God. They're the, the people that you were before you heard the gospel, before you knew the message of Christ. And those things then begin to shape our programming. It steers how we spend our money as a church, how we spend our energy and our time. It directs the language we use and the focus we choose. 
Sometimes when you hear me give you a message, you're like, come on, Brett, I've been reading the Bible for decades now. You don't have to tell me who Matthew is or anything. Yeah, I do. Why? Because there should be some people who don't know a thing about the Bible sitting next to you in here. That's what we want. I'm not, I'm not dumbing it down for you. I want to bring the level to everybody. This is for everybody. Okay? And if we are to be a healthy, vibrant Christian community that's devoted to Jesus Christ and His transformation of our lives, we must be people who call those who are sick to healing. Do you see it? It's an essential part of a true church. It's what makes a church a church. And I know it won't always be comfortable. It won't. It will sometimes be very messy. It won't always be easy, but it's the call of Jesus. And as long as we can see the call of Jesus and and follow it, we're going to be on the right track. So here's what I want you to do this weekend. Or, I'm sorry, with the week ahead. I want you to set aside some time this week to truly inventory your soul. If you weren't aware of it before this morning, you now know you have a soul. And your soul matters. All right, so I want you to inventory your soul. I want you to take a deep look at the, the inner person of who you are. And, and figure out what's going on. And first, and do it this way, look first at the call to surrender that, that we saw Jesus call Matthew to. And just ask yourself, hey, is there anything in my heart, in my life, in my soul that I need to surrender to God? Is there anything that I've kind of been withholding or kind of locked away? Is there some issue that, that God maybe has spoken to me about before, but I've not really wanted to release that to him? Ask yourself, is there anything in my heart, in my soul that I need to surrender? Anything I need to lay down or put behind me? And if so, then take the steps to do it. There's hope for your soul in that, all right? Secondly, look at the call to healing. The call to healing. Ask yourself if you're willing to extend the healing power of the gospel to people in your life. Are you willing to be someone that would call others to healing? You all know people that need the gospel. Every one of you. You know somebody that needs the gospel in their life. Are you willing to be used by God to call them to healing? Now, here's the thing. I don't even want you to try to figure out how that's supposed to happen. At this point, I just want you to make that, have that conversation with God to be able to say, I'm actually willing just, just be willing. Let's let God work out the details and sort those details out. Because God understands people's hearts and, and they don't come to him unless he calls them to him. And he's got timing and he understands things that we don't get. So I'm not saying go find the worst sinner that you know of and try to bring them to the gospel this week. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is just make sure your heart is willing to be used in this way. Because he will use willing people just like you and me. So that's your, that's your, your homework this week, all right? A call to surrender, a call to healing. Look at your soul and see what God wants to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for, thank you for just recording the life of Jesus for us in the Gospels. And God, my prayer for this entire series as we look at these various calls that Jesus has on our lives, Lord, is that, that we would hear you, you clearly and we would respond to the calls that you make. And so this morning, 
Lord, I, I just pray that, that that would happen. I pray, Lord, that we would hear clearly your call to us. This morning, I, I want to pray specifically for any here that, that may have a sin of some sort that they know in their lives that they've been battling for a really long time that doesn't want to go away. And I don't know what those sins are. I don't, I don't even want to know what those sins are, Lord, but you know what those sins are. And Lord, today I pray that you would bring healing to those people as they surrender those things again to you. Maybe it, there's an addiction in here, to drugs, to alcohol, to pornography, to gambling. There's, we, we can make addictions to almost anything as people. And this morning, I pray, God, that, that by your Spirit, you would call right now those souls that are struggling with those besetting sins and that you would call them right now that you would tug on their heart to surrender those things. I pray, Lord, that they would hear your voice calling them this morning, saying, follow me. Don't try to hang on to those things of the world any longer. Let them go and come and follow me. Surrender it all and come to me. And Lord, I pray that, that if, if that's the case here today, that, that you would bring freedom to people. You'd bring true healing. And Lord, I also pray this morning for all of us, for our hearts as a church. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to soften our hearts, you'd reshape us, that you would stir our souls up to have a desire and a hunger to reach those who are lost. Lord, that we would have compassionate hearts that want to come and bring healing to those who are sick, those who need salvation, those who need rescue. Because we see that that's who Jesus was and what Jesus did. He came and brought healing. And you call us to be a people of healing. You call us to be a church of healing. Your church is to be a hospital, a place where people can get healthy and whole and right with you. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would stir that in us, that we wouldn't lose sight of it. It is so easy, Lord, for us to just want to go to sleep on this and to just say, let's just get through it because we're beat up and we're banged up as well. And so, Lord, we pray for both those things, that you'd bring healing to our souls, but also that you'd use us to bring healing to others. I thank you, Lord, for this community that you've placed us in as a church. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to meet right here in this elementary school, nestled in this neighborhood with all sorts of people right around us that need the gospel, that need to be healed. They might be like Matthew. They may have plenty of money and plenty of earthly security, but their souls are empty. Help us know how to reach those people. Help us know how to bring your gospel to those people, that their lives would be changed, that we could rejoice in the work that you're doing right here in this neighborhood, right here in our community, in the people that we know, the people that we interact with, the people we live beside and, and work with, and the people that we go to school with and, and shop with, and all these people that are right in here, Lord, just bring a powerful work of salvation to the lost. 
equip us, strengthen us as we go um, from, from this place today. And Lord, may we be full of your love and your mercy and your joy in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.